Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hover. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Lori Marvis back, and we are going to do the Q&A today with producer Sanford and producer Adam. Dr. Marvis, Lori, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me back. This will be a lot of fun. These are good questions. We got a lot of good questions, and mm-hmm. we will let producer Sanford dole them out to us. So our first great question is from Shannon on Facebook. Shannon sort of has a two-part question. So the first part is, what vitamins and minerals are good for hair growth and hair health? And the second part of her question is, if taking vitamin supplements, should one be careful not overtaking said vitamin? Like if you take a multivitamin with B vitamins and B vitamins are also in your protein powder, would that be too much taking separate B complex vitamins? Number one, does that make sense? And number two, very smart woman, please answer those questions. Well, I want to just say that we did address hair nutrition in the April Q&A. We talked about you know, isoflavones, omega-3 fats, vitamin C for collagen production, all of that. But I did want to address the um, what you were talking about with getting vitamins in multiple places. And there is a concern now because there's nutrients everywhere. And I kind of, I think I made this word up, but it's kind of like this polyvitaminosis. I don't think that's really a word, but in this never ending search for enough, there seems to be this potential for hypervitaminosis, which is a word. And this is usually associated with the fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A and potentially vitamin D. But you know, B vitamins and C vitamins are water-soluble, so you can just excrete the excess. But do be careful of the fat-soluble nutrients, the A, D, E, and K. And most importantly, try to stick to the principle that just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. And a great example of this is iron, you know, heme iron that we find in animal products is more potent, but it's also linked to chronic disease due to its pro-oxidative effects. Lori, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that's exactly right. I will get, I'm so surprised at how many patients come in and they're taking so many vitamins. They're like, do I need to take more? I'm like, no, you need to stop. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, like you said, I, I'll have to familiar myself, familiarize myself with your um, hair loss one. That would be great because I, I do have a lot of patients um, have questions regarding hair loss, you know. So, of course, iron, vitamin D, your folate, which you're eating already, your B12, selenium, things like that are, are always good things to make sure your foods um, – uh, contain those things. And if you need to supplement like a vitamin D a little bit or B12, that's appropriate too. Next question is from Instagram. Sailing the wind travel wants to know uh, all about fruit. Um, is too much fruit not a good thing? And also, should we not be eating fruit after 2 p.m.? I have to be honest, I've never heard that before. So have you all heard that before? My father would love the name of this Instagram handle because he's a sailor. So I, I'm already I'm already partial to answer this question with lots of leafy green love. Um, no, I've not heard about the after 2 p.m. thing, but people are always fruit phobic and there's no reason to be because fruits are fabulous and filled with phytonutrients. They've got flavonoids and phenolic compounds, carotenoids, anthocyanins, chlorophyll, vitamin C, different types of fiber. Every body, organizing body recommends you know, at least like half your plate coming from fruits and vegetables. The World Health Organization recommends about 400 grams of vegetables and fruits a day to improve your health and decrease your risk of disease. Um, It's really interesting that people are afraid of it. There's people I know that eat only fruit, not that I'm recommending that, but it's just one of the most extraordinary foods on the planet. And I just, I just want to make a partial note is that this does not include fruit juices where you're taking out the fiber and you're just concentrating 
the actual, you know, the the other parts of it that you don't want to be concentrated in. And then smoothies too, I don't recommend for most people most of the time. It's better to chew the foods and do the digestion yourself. And also I would like to just add that fresh and frozen is always optimal. And then after that would be dried because again, you're taking out the water. And then if you have to, you know, go to canned, but you want to go as much fresh and frozen cooked too, cooked fresh and frozen as well, but just as the origin coming from fresh and frozen uh, from the get-go. Yeah, no, I'd agree with everything you said. You know, fruits, we do have a lot of fruit phobic people and I and I promise fruit in its fresh form and has never made anyone fat. It's just not. And, you know, if I have a diabetic, for example, I may tell them to maybe focus in on berries or some of the more lower glycemic foods versus some of the others um, like grapes or something like that. But that's usually short term. But only honestly, that's the only time that I'm ever recommending that we cut out certain types of fruits. But yes, absolutely. Fruits are very good for you. Eat them to whatever enjoyment you have. Be filled with the the loveliness of fruit. So yes, and absolutely you can eat them after 2 p.m. Lori Juliana, what is your favorite fruit to eat? Blueberries. Ah, berries. There's been notes left on blueberry containers in my refrigerator warning children of death if they <laughs> ate my blueberries, the last package. So it gets to that extreme here. That's great. Wait, I also, I love figs. Like I feel like when September rolls around, I'm so excited because I love figs and persimmons. So fall is my favorite fruit. Oh, persimmons. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite fruit, Stanford? I don't love fruit. I'm not a big fruit eater. I, I've just learned to love blueberries. I just learned to love blueberries because I, if I put them in like a, a shake, which I know Juliana, you don't love that I do that, but I can't taste them, but I'm still taking them in. So that's why I like them. Actually, I take that back. I love an apple. I love an orange actually. Adam, what's your favorite fruit? I was thinking no fruit. That's like right there on the pyramid, man. That's first grade. I am, uh, I'm a, I was, I'm a big grape guy. I'm a sucker for him. The only problem is like, you know, I'm an even bigger sucker at the grocery store because some things will be, the price tag will be like three forty nine. I'll be like, great. And it'll be per pound. And for all of I've known, I bought, I bought like $12 of grapes and I won't even know it. Um, <laughs> and then they'll be gone in 48 hours. I have a very high investment in grapes. <laughs> Adam, we learned something about you. Every Q&A episode, I love it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Next question is from Ashley on Facebook. Ashley wants to know, this is what Ashley says. I make myself a daily wellness shot of homegrown broccoli sprouts, organic lemon juice, turmeric with a little black pepper for absorption, ginger, and chia seeds. Is there anything I can add that wouldn't take up a lot of room that would add to the nutritional value of said shot? I thought this was a really great question. Laura, you want to start? You know, I, I looked at this question earlier and I was thinking to myself, that's a, it's a great shot, first of all. I think, you know, broccoli sprouts are phenomenally... They're just, they're phenomenal. They're full of nutrition. They're full of amazing resources, vitamins, and minerals. And then you have the lemon juice, you have the little vitamin C, you have the turmeric and the ginger and the anti-inflammatory component. You have your chia seeds. So I'm not sure what the purpose of this is. I'm assuming it's some kind of anti-inflammatory shot. Um, honestly, I think that would be pretty tasty and just leave it alone. I'm I don't know. Is there anything you can think of that would add to maybe amplify some of the things that she's already consuming there? 
No, I think it's such a great combination. And you know what I love about plant foods is synergy. And this is a great example of using synergy to your advantage. So you've got these broccoli sprouts. So with the lemon juice and the vitamin C, you're going to absorb some of the nutrients from the broccoli sprouts better. And you've done the beautiful turmeric plus black pepper plus ginger, which helps the absorption and helps amp up the anti-inflammatory properties. And then chia seeds, your omega-3 fatty acids. I think this sounds like an amazing shot. And I always love to say, you know, people come to me eating a standard Western diet all the time. And then, then I've got people like you who are like, oh, I eat this perfect shot. And what can I do better? And it's like, you're already doing it. <laughs> you're doing a great job. So keep up the good work, yeah. Ashley. I might actually write this down and give it as a prescription to patients. <laughs> <laughs> we got to try it. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Well, well done, Ashley. Well done that you're doing that. Good for you. Um, I could have written the next question, frankly, although I don't, I don't do this anymore, but Shackelt on Instagram wants to know, what's the best way to get rid of pop or soda out of your diet? You can I, can I answer this question and I'll leave it to the experts? <laughs> yes. Stop <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> I used to drink soda and I just decided to stop drinking it. And now I'm soda free. Anyway, the experts, what do y'all say? Do you feel better? Do you feel better, Sanford? Do you notice a difference? I mean, it's been a long time. I haven't, I haven't. I haven't drank soda in years, so uh, I'm sure I did when I first stopped, but now it's just, it's commonplace for me, so. Yeah, you know, I see less of this with the population I'm working with now because they're already trying to focus in on being healthier. Many times that's one of the first things they move, remove, but then there are a few that are just really struggle with it. You know, um, I've had patients send me pictures of them pouring soda down their sink and then drink it the next day. You know, so it's, it's it's a really interesting thing. I don't know if it's the the fizziness and all that, or maybe it's some childhood um, memories. Cause I do know one patient really said, you know, her dad died when she was younger, but they used to go out every Saturday and they'd get a uh, soda from the store. And it was just really comforting for her, um, felt connected. So, you know, there's those type of things to consider as well. So I would just really sit down first of all and say, why are you drinking it? Um, it's not good for your teeth. It's not good for your gut. It's not good for a lot of different things. And, you know, it's replacing if it's, you know, a regular soda, it's replacing potential room with really good calories. You're replacing with these artificial chemicals. And I always tell people there's a few different ways. You can replace it with something maybe like LaCroix or some type of seltzer water with frozen fruit. Maybe that would help. I certainly have seen that successful for some of my patients. Um, And then other reasons is just ask yourself, do you really want to give your money to companies that are profiting off illness and, you know, promoting decay, tooth decay and, you know, illness amongst our children. They go after our kids. There's a lot of interesting marketing with sodas and, you know, brand awareness and loyalty. Um, I certainly know it goes way back from the time when like Dr. Pepper was my grandmother's thing. She would talk, rave about Dr. Pepper and just, you know, think how much, you know, Coca-Cola was, how horrible it was. And like, it's all the same thing, really. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my suggestions for you. (laughs) Those are great. Thank you. I would just add, you know, first of all, I love what you said. And I would add on like the why, like, why do you want to get rid of it? Because you're going to have to want to get rid of it to do so, because it becomes so habitual for so many people. Uh, What I would do, once you do want to, what I do with my clients is I have them either go cold tofu and just cut it. And then I like to replace it with something like a sparkling water or find something else that gives you that similar uh, enjoyment out of it. Because if you think about it, drinking something, anything, there's a ritual around it. And I always talk about how I love to drink my cups of tea. And I always have a cup of mug of tea with me. And I love the ritual of 
heating the water and pouring the tea and getting it when it's hot and pulling out the tea bag and holding that warm mug while I'm here podcasting or talking to clients. And you can get about like 70, 80, 90% of the joy out of that beverage by just encompassing or just embracing and loving the experience of it. And, you know, you get rid of the, the, it's kind of like an addictive type of thing, especially if it's sugar when you're doing it so often, just with time away from it. So if you really want to go all out, just go stop it, try it and find something else that you can replace it with that's healthier so you can get the ritual and, and then move away from that so that you can get those, those um, cravings out of your brain. I remember a relative when I was growing up hated that we drank soda and once cleaned his oven with some soda to show us what it was doing to our bodies. So, you know, if you're really intent on quitting drinking soda, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here, clean your oven with it and we should not be ingesting that. But also, Juliana, was it you who once talked about the idea of diet soda and how we are conditioned to sort of think that drinking soda will help us lose weight is good for our diet because a lot of it is called diet soda. I think diet soda sometimes can be worse. They're both, you know, very health damaging. But what I've said about that in the past is that the artificial sweeteners, I have a lot of people that come to me with sugar cravings and the sugar cravings themselves get perpetuated when you're including artificial sweeteners because artificial sweeteners are designed to be hundreds or thousands of times sweeter than table sugar, which is what you find in soda. So once people, like the people that are constantly battling this sugar cravings and sugar, they call it sugar addiction because they just can't stop. I think that one of the first things I have them do is cut out diet sodas. I tend to see that people that are consuming a lot of those tend to be the ones that are having those issues with sugar. And it really does help mitigate sugar cravings. But I also think the idea that sugar is, you know, when, when you hear something diet Coke and, you know, diet soda, it sort of, it sort of alludes that it makes you think that, oh, this is good for me. Yes, Stanford. There is a health halo effect when you see the word diet, just like when you see the word gluten-free or nowadays even vegan has this new health halo attached to it. And it's very misleading for a lot of people. And I think that labeling is a big issue for confusing the masses. And that's why I always advise people to just read the ingredients and ignore everything else in the package because all the rest is just marketing. We're going to move on. Another uh, question from Instagram, tjadrian.3966 wants to know from the two of you, what is your opinion of quote unquote fake meats such as Beyond and Impossible Burgers? I love this question too. Laurie, would you like to start? Sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that these are here. These are wonderful things for opportunities to decrease animal deaths and torture and all of that. So for the ethical vegan side of things, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have available. And um, it's certainly available for those who maybe won't consider going fully plant-based, but maybe they'll make different options. So now as far as health, um, I think there's slightly better, you know, you're not getting certain cholesterol, but you're certainly still getting high saturated fats, high cholesterol, all those things. So these can be used in a few different ways, um, certainly in transitional foods. So if I have someone who's really coming off a standard American diet, really wanting to do a whole food plant-based diet, or at least move in that direction, these will be great tools to use for a short period of time. But I always encourage them to understand that the the really the best that they can do is eating the whole foods. Um, eating these type of foods will not get them to where they want to go, especially, you know, I work a lot with diabetics, especially with my 
diabetics who are insulin resistance, these high fat uh, content will just wreak havoc or if you're wanting to lose weight. Um, but, you know, for those psycho circumstances, so I think the transitional foods are healthy or, or better choice. And then, like I said, you know, for family and friends who you're trying to impress upon them, you know, the value of, or at least maybe even just tantalize their taste buds to even consider making more plant-based choices, those might be good options too for family get-togethers and those type of things. But I certainly wouldn't make them a regular part of your diet. Yeah, I agree exactly. I, I got so many interviews about this when all the products were taking off and becoming omnipresent around the world. And I hated to say anything negative because I'm so happy to have a non-animal version available. But what I always want to emphasize is that for the first time in 17 years teaching plant-based nutrition, I'm having long-term vegans come to me with very similar health issues as the omnivores. And that's because of a lot of these highly processed foods. And some are worse than others, some are better than others, but I like to consider them a transition food or a food for one of your days of deliciousness. So use them conscientiously and enjoy them when you do, And um, but try to get your palate so you love. And there are so many delicious plant-based burgers that you can make at home or you could buy that are whole foods that are absolutely delicious. And I think just transitioning your palate you know, is so important for sustainability and for the long term and so doable because I see this every day with my clients, just getting used to eating these whole beautiful foods as they come out in nature and how you could play with them in the kitchen is the key to long-term success. All right, moving on. Rockin' Jules on Instagram wants to know, and I would also like to know, why her daughter gets terrible gas when she eats lentils? Ah, well, a lot of people struggle with legumes and a lot of people struggle with some cruciferous vegetables. But most importantly, what's going on for most people, and of course, I don't know the actual details, is that we are living in a society that is very fiber deficient, extraordinarily fiber deficient, like never before. The standard Western diet is, you know, most of the population, like 97% of the US population at least, is getting the minimum recommended fiber intake. So, if, you know, that's just 14 grams per thousand calories, which is nothing. And people aren't getting it because they're not eating whole foods. And when they introduce them and they're increasing the fiber, well, then your body's like, oh, what's this fiber? And you have to literally recreate the microbiome and create, get a whole different profile in there. And that takes time and consistency. So if your daughter's getting it with lentils because she doesn't eat them frequently enough, then I would say just to keep them in the more in the regular rotation and just to have them more consistent in her diet, start slow and build up. But I would also say that if it's only lentils, then go to something else like beans or hummus or soy foods or something else that would be, you know, maybe something that she's, maybe she's a little intolerant to lentils. So it would depend on her specific situation. But generally speaking, adjusting to eating more fiber can be rough for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, usually when I'm introducing people kind of to the bean world, legumes, I start with lentils. And if she's struggling, I, I first of all, I'd, I'd want to know her age. Um, age can be a factor here as well. Is she chewing it well? You know, what what's going on there? And um, start with smaller amounts. So if she's finding that she's having really significant gas, just cut down the amount that she is eating. Are you feeding it to her three times a day? Maybe we just cut down to one and then cut that amount in half just so that she can kind of build that up to not feeling so miserable. Because, you know, the gas can be very painful. It can be 
Um, little kids just don't understand what's going on. And so that, again, it depends on our age. You know, teenagers are a different set of <laughs> um, kids than, you know, your little, little ones. So I, again, I would just say, you know, it depends on what our age is. And if the other thing, um, you know, make sure that there's not something else that you're giving with the lentils. Is she still consuming milk or something else like that? So, you know, it really behoove you to speak to someone like Juliana um, to help, you know, kind of delineate what exactly is going on here. Um, before we move on, Adam, just can you come clean? Did you write the last question to and pretend to be Rock and Joel's? No, I have. I've eaten a lot more lentils, though. I will say that, and I like to think that I have more legumes in my diet than a traditional American. So I maybe experienced that a little bit at first. It passed. It passed for me at least. <laughs> Very good. All right. Good to know. Here we go. Uh, our next question is from, I'm going to completely butcher this name. You'll please forgive me, uh, Instagrammer, Doina Pengilly. That's what I'm, I'm sticking with that. Doina Pengilly. Um, they say that they feel very dizzy when they wake up. Is there anything they can do? Oh, this is for Dr. Marbus. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as a family doc, you get lots of interesting questions. And some of the more difficult ones to really just kind of dive into are fatigue and dizziness. Or <laughs> you hear that and you're like, oh, well, there's a plethora of things that this could be. So first of all, you know, um, I, I'm assuming your first name is Donya. I would just really make sure that you do speak to your local physician because there's many, many things that could be occurring. If you're asking this in the context of a whole food plant-based diet, I would be really curious to see, are you on any blood pressure medications and some other things like that? Because those can make you feel dizzy upon standing. Um, you know, is a dizziness um, all the time or is it just when you're like first waking up in the mornings? Are you drinking enough fluids? Are you dehydrated every morning? But, you know, any medications that can make you dizzy, I would be very concerned about that. Um, I also, just in the context of speaking about medications and switching to a plant-based diet, you want to be very careful with diabetic medications. Um, and those need to be de-prescribed or de-escalated or stopped altogether fairly often and fairly quickly. So you really want to speak to a physician who knows how to do that and when to do that. Um, you know, and then the other things that you worry about with dizziness with some of the things that I've seen some folks with some very strict whole food plant-based eaters, um, sometimes they get a little bit low sodium and that can make you a tad bit dizzy um, because people are salt-free, which I'm not saying you should be, or, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being salt-free. It's not healthy for us, but sometimes um, I have seen that on occasion, some sodium be low and some people might get a little bit uh, dizzy from that. So I would definitely be looked at. There's so many things that could be going on. It could be inner ear, it could be, neurologic, it could be <laughs> uh, orthostatic hypotension, it could be a host of things. I'd also get a blood pressure cuff, make sure things there okay. It could be your heart. I'm not trying to scare you, but you know, again, you know, dizziness um, with waking or fatigue, those are just some really broad sweeping things and lots of differential diagnoses that you have to kind of work through. Yeah, that well said. I mean, that's one of those most nonspecific symptoms. And I really hope that you go to the doctor and check it out. And I hope that everything is okay with you. Me too. Me too. We have two more questions left. Second to last is from Carrie on Facebook. Carrie wants to know, what is okay to drink when you are doing intermittent fasting other than water? Coffees, teas, flavored sparkling waters? Yes, exactly. So if you're in the fasted state during your time-restricted feeding, 
then I always tell clients that water is fine, sparkly water is fine, coffee, espresso, Americano, decaf coffee, decaf, all that stuff, teas, any kind of tea, herbal tea, flavored sparkling water, plain sparkling water. Just you want to make sure there's no calorie in there. Of course, it's like, I don't know, five to 15 calories in some coffee, but that's insignificant enough to not take you out of the fastest state as far as we know. I haven't seen anything conflicting with that so far. Have you, Lori? No, not at all. I would say anything, typically your clear liquids are going to be the ones that are non-caloric, um, although coffee can be pretty dark, I guess. But yeah, you, you could do your flavored water, sparkling waters. Those will all be fine. You just want to be careful. Some people get a little bit more sensitive to caffeine. So if you find that you're feeling a little palpitations or a little more anxious when you're drinking caffeine in a fasted state, I would just cut back on that. Yeah. And the other thing is just because, you know, artificial sweeteners, Stevie, I know we already talked about that because they have no calorie. I definitely don't suggest that during the fasted state because you do have a similar uh, biochemical response in the brain when you consume those if you had something with calorie. So I definitely would avoid all of those, including Stevia, monk fruit, all of the all of those sweeteners that are non-nutritive and um, just, I would just drink it straight up. Here is our last question, folks, for the August 2021 Q&A. RR, again, I'm butchering it, you'll forgive me, uh, wants to know the effect on working out in the gym versus outside, please. Oh, Lori, since you just came from a run, do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I think it really depends, you know, the effect is going to be the same, right? You're still going to have, whether you're doing resistance training or cardiovascular, you're still going to have the same effect as far as the end product is you've worked out. This is, you've met this goal. However, there are benefits to both. Um, you know, certainly in the gym, you can be lifting weights. Although, I mean, if you're in California, you know, in California on Venice beach or something, I'm sure you lift weights there and do some things, but outside also have some amazing things. You're in nature, you're getting your vitamin D. Um, you know, you're just getting fresh air unless you're in the middle of some fires, like some of us are now, but you know, there's good things to both. And honestly, I'd say whatever exercise, no matter where it is that you're just going to enjoy and keep doing. Um, but there's certainly, I'm always encouraging people to get outside, get the sunlight. It's really good for, you know, making sure that your, your brain is aware that it's daylight. It makes for better sleep. So I'm a huge, I live in the Rocky mountains. I'm a huge fan of being outside. I'm not really a gym rat, never have been. Um, I run on my treadmill in the winter when it's, you know, really, really cold and snowing, but other than that, I'm outside. But so I would always encourage people to at least, you know, venture outside as much as they could. Love that. I so agree with all of that. And my overall answer would always be about anything exercise related is do what you love because if you're going to love it, you're going to stick to it. And that's the most important thing in terms of working out and keeping a fitness regimen. But it's so interesting how things have changed when we've all went into this quarantine and gyms were closed and now there's masks in gyms and all sorts of things kind of can dictate how you prefer to work out. But the most important thing is that you find something that you will do. So if you mix and match, if you pick one, whatever you prefer, just make sure you love it and that you're doing it consistently. I love it. That'll do it for this month's Q&A. Well, thank you. Thank you, producers Sanford and Adam. And thank you so much, Dr. Lori Marvis, for joining us again. Thank you, Lori. Oh, thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. All right. To summarize, remember, fruit is fabulous. Just because something is good doesn't mean more is better. Exercise wherever it brings you the most pleasure. Save the new plant-based burgers for your days of deliciousness and try to skip the soda. 
If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.